0: Dear is it's to the Irish Mythology podcast where today we'll meet the big villain of the second battle of Moitura. I'm Stephanie Hearney.
1: Yes, behind the greatest villains lies great tragedy and we'll hear of a series of bad decisions and tragic outcomes that made Balor the villain that he is. I'm Marcus O'Hishkin.
0: I think a series of bad decisions and tragic outcomes could describe a lot of people but anyway <laughs> we've been focusing a lot on the god Lu lately and we will come back to him in the next episode he's the new great hope of the god people in the fight against the Formorians he leads the riders of the shi to victory in battle against Formorian raiders a couple of episodes back and now he's leading the god people and preparing for war He's not the centre of today's tale, but he is an important factor because, as we found out in the last episode, Balor is his granddad.
1: Yeah, I'm very excited about this. Uh, Balor of the Piercing Eye, Balor the Smiter, sometimes latterly known as Balor of the Evil Eye, has been looming in the background of a lot of our stories, but we've never actually got to meet him except for a brief appearance in the after credits scene of the last episode of season one.
0: Just in relation to those names, I mean, they're pretty badass. They don't really, you know, no one gets nicknames like that anymore.
1: No, <laughs> you
0: know, no. It's all like abbreviations of names and I don't know. Yeah. You know, like imagine, you know, Marcus of the Piercing Eye.
2: Like, <laughs> be
0: a great name, anyway. Brez has been the villain up to now, but it's always been Balor in the shadows pulling the strings. When Brez is king of the god people, it's Balor enforcing the tribute that's been sent to his people, the Formorians.
1: And when Brez is deposed by the two a day and a tribute dries up, it is Balor orchestrating the raiding and pillaging of Ireland. There's something driving Balor though, he's not just inherently evil, he has motivation.
0: There's a prophecy that he's hell-bent on beating. We see this a lot in mythology and sometimes in modern storytelling too and it's often the desperation of the character trying to outwit their supposed fate that ensures the fulfillment of the prophecy.
1: We'll talk about prophecies and villains in a bit and we'll talk about Balor himself and his portrayal in various stories and even video games but first we have our story. This one isn't based on just one tale it has elements of stories from folklore as well as a small bit of the fate of the sons of turin and also references to the second battle of moitura so we present to you the tragedy of balor and his piercing eye the room
0: flickers 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 in in and out 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 of of existence light shade dark void light shade dark void light shade dark void in the quantum moments where it is fully formed it is familiar dark rock walls ornamented with skulls climb to meet a distant ceiling hundreds of feet above Below the flickering skulls of various animals, humans and other vaguely familiar beings, two huge feet protrude from the end of a bed. And beyond that stands a cow that looks as if it is grazing, despite the fact that there is no grass to graze on. The cow's green and white striped coat is hypnotic in the flickering light and its darkening is the first indication that there is someone else in the room. The shadow is indiscernible at first, but gradually light. It comes into focus. Shade. A head. Arms. Legs. Dark. Harder to see. Void. Nothing. Light. A woman. Catalan. No! An intruder! Ballard tries to get up from the bed, but an invisible force is holding him down. He struggles, fights, wriggles where he lies, but nothing he does can free him from his shackles. He tries to call out for his guards, but only muffled sounds come from his mouth. He lies there helplessly, as the shadow lifts the cow over their shoulder and escapes through the window. When the shadow is gone, the force that was holding Ballard down also disappears. He leaps from the bed, the ground shuddering beneath his massive frame, his head only a few feet short of the shaking ceiling. He crouches as low as he can and peers out the window. He cannot see the shadow or the cow, only the rocks and the sea, and on the rocks by the sea he sees a druid filling a wooden container with rocks. Without any movement on his part, Balor, now outside, stands beside the druid who, one by one, places three infants into the box. Balor tries to cry out for the druid to stop, but once again his voice is muffled. Seemingly unaware of Balor's presence, the druid loads the box into a coracle and rows out to sea. Balor wakes. He surveys his surroundings with his good eye. The room is no longer flickering. The dream How did he not know? It is the same dream he's been having every night since Bialtana. The calloused skin on his left cheek burns as a single tear rolls from his eye that remains closed. He wipes the acidic liquid away with a long, nailed, grey-skinned finger.
3: It was necessary.
0: Balor twists the bottom half of his body and places his feet on the ground. He stands up straight, over 200 feet tall, then crouches as low as he can and peers out the window. Like before, he sees waves crashing against the rocks and beyond that, the vast ocean. Unlike before, there is a boat approaching. The sails are unfamiliar, but as he squints with his good eye, he is sure that two of the passengers who stand on its deck are Brez Macalaha and Lush, the druid. A shudder runs up Brez's spine as the hulking figure of Balor seems to materialise out of thin air. Brez turns his head towards Lewish and whispers, I'll never get used to that. Could he not, you know, make the tower a little more visible when he's having guests? Lwish doesn't take his eyes off Balor, but twists his mouth towards Brez as he replies It has been attacked in the past Balor feels it is better to The tremors caused by Balor's footsteps cut his reply short Balor comes to a halt around 12 feet from the pair as close as he can get without trampling on them with his massive feet towering above them fully naked in his armour, like grey skin. Balor hunkers down so that his head is now only 80 feet or so above the others. He looks down upon them with his good eye, which is the size of a normal eye, but looks tiny in his massive skull. His other eye, the one that is in proportion to his face, remains closed.
3: Resmakalaha Does my appearance displease you?
0: Brez shakes his head. No, Lord Balor, it it was the Tower of Sea, but Loish explained. Balor laughs. Hmm.
3: I can take other forms. Perhaps you would feel less threatened by this.
0: Right before the eyes of Brez and Loish, Balor transforms into the shape of a little boy with short, red hair. Brez is speechless. He looks around at Lush, who doesn't seem to be phased at all. This is the form I took when I stole the bloody cow that caused me so much trouble, the boy Balor replies. It was no trouble in the end, Lush interjects. The boy balor scowls at the druid not for you it seems tell me are you sure you finished the job brez looks from Luish to the boy balor and back again clearly unaware of what they are talking about yes lord as sure as i can be the druid replies The hesitation in his voice does not go unnoticed by the boy, who gives him a lingering look of suspicion. "'Why do you ask?' says Lois, hoping to deflect some of the attention. Balor transforms back to his original form.
3: "'I've been having dreams.'
0: Before Balor can continue... Or Loish can inquire about the dreams. Brez gets his voice back. Wait, you, you can change shape. Can you only turn into a boy or...
3: I can take any form I wish.
0: And you choose... Brez stops and reconsiders his words. I mean no disrespect, my lord, but... Have you ever considered taking another form that... Doesn't stand out so much.
3: This is my true form. So many of our people hide theirs for the benefit of outsiders.
0: Brez stops to consider this latest piece of information. But before he can ask any more questions, Lush, who is clearly losing his patience, butts in. Lord Balor, would you care to elaborate on these dreams?
3: Yes. But we'll go to Catelyn. I want to hear her opinion. Why don't you tell me why you're back without the troops I gave you while we're on the way?
0: Catelyn flashes a crooked smile as she opens the door and sees Balor, Brez and Lois on the other side. "'This is a nice surprise,' she says. "'Come in.' Balor changes size but not shape so he can fit in the door of Ketlin's house, which is still twice the height of Brez and Lois, as Ketlin is as tall a woman as Brez has ever seen. The three enter the house. The walls are decorated with amulets and bird feathers. And stuffed sharks and other fish sit on stands on the floor. Kellyn points to some chairs that are arranged in a crescent around the cauldron that sits over the central fire, and the group sit. What brings you to my hearth, husband? Kellyn says to Balor.
3: Disturbing events. Brez and Lewish have returned defeated. A new hero has risen to lead the two a day.
0: The warmth drains from Catelyn's face. What hero? Brez quickly jumps to the defence. His name is Lou. We were taken by surprise by his militia. If we go back in greater numbers... Lou who? Catelyn asks, interrupting Brez's excuses. I don't believe he said, said Loche, but I had heard of his legend before we encountered him, and he lives up to the stories. Just give me the troops, says Brez. I will have his head. Quiet. The others go silent.
3: I've been having dreams about the cow and the warrior that took everything from us.
0: This is a moment where nobody except Brez takes a breath. Brez looks around the room at the stony faces. Is someone going to explain all this? What happens in the dreams? Ketlin asks, ignoring Brez's question.
3: The warrior comes into my chamber. He's just a shadow, but I know it's him takes the cow, and escapes out the window. When I go to the window, I see you, Loish, doing doing what you did. And I try to cry out to get you to stop, but...
0: You had no choice, Loish says, trying to console Balor. It was for nothing, says Ketlin, contradicting the druid. This Lou is our grandson. I know it and you know it too, don't you, Lois? All eyes turn to Lois. I was sure I finished it. I was when I threw the chest into the sea. The lid popped open. One of the boys floated away before I could secure it, but he couldn't have survived, could he? Dreams are tricky, Rez interrupts. They don't often mean the literal thing.
3: He survived.
0: Then the prophecy is still alive, says Callan. You must not face him, my love.
3: I will face him. I will face all of them. We were here before the two of the day. We were here before the Firbolg and the Nevad. We will be here after they have all perished and all trace of them is wiped from this land. I'm Balor! I cannot be killed. My skin is tough as armor, and my piercing eye will burn their warriors and their fortifications.
0: Loish tries to intervene. My lord, if the prophecy has already beaten our...
3: No! No, Loish. It was your prophecy, and your solutions that ensured its fulfillment. You said if we locked my daughter up, it couldn't happen. It happened. You said we had no choice but to murder the offspring. But somehow, you let one escape. I will not listen to any more advice from the one who gave me this.
0: Balor points to his big, closed eye. That was an accident, Lois protests.
3: You should have been more careful. I was just a boy. Forgive me if I don't accept your concern for my safety. And if it is my fate to die, I will face that fate without fear. I will not run from it. And I will fight to my last breath to defeat it.
0: Brez furrows his brow. Hang on, you killed your...
3: Brez Makalaha, you will have your warriors. We will build bridges of boats from the islands to the mainland, and I will be by your side. Come, we have a war to plan.
0: I will be by your side too, Catelyn adds as Balor and a somewhat shocked-looking Bres leave. Lorsch doesn't get up. He shivers. I have failed him. That you have, Catelyn replies. He'll have his eye on you now. And for your sake, I hope it's the good one. The room flickers in and out of existence. Light. Shade. Dark. Void. Light. Shade. Dark. Void. Light. Shade. Dark. Void. Light. Shade. Dark. Void. Baller twitches on the bed. He recognises his surroundings. This is his room, in his tower. The green and white cow flickers with the rest of the room, and then the shadow comes. Balor stops struggling as he remembers the dream. This is a dream, the same dream. Taking control of the environment, Balor breaks free of his invisible shackles first the one on his left wrist then the one on his right wrist the tower shakes and rocks fall from its walls he breaks the shackles on his ankles in one movement and leaps to his feet grabbing the shadow by its throat as balor squeezes the life out of this shadow it transforms into the shape of a pig the pig squeals before changing back to a more human form Balor squeezes harder, until finally he can see the face of his enemy, the face of Lou's father, Keen. Dream Keen gasps out his final words. He's coming. And then he vanishes. The flickering stops. Light pours into the room. Balor goes to the window. And crouches down on his hunkers to peer out. He sees the waves crashing against the rocks. There is no druid. No coracle. No chest. There isn't even a boat. But there is something. A light? Lightning? No. Balor squints with his good eye to try and make out what it is. A man? Yes, it is. A youth with golden flowing hair held in by a gold headband. He is holding something in his right hand, something bright, a shining spear. He lifts it above his head and throws it towards Balor. Balor wakes
1: Gods, you know, I hate sleep paralysis.
0: Yeah, it's awful. For those who have never heard of this condition, it's basically where the mind wakes up, but the body is still asleep. So when we dream, the body is paralyzed to prevent us from acting out the dream. But when this happens, it's sort of as if you are being held down by some invisible force. And it's terrifying <laughs> for anyone who's ever experienced it is going to know it's it's awful. Yeah. The f- first time it happened to me, I was like, "What? Well, I didn't. I didn't know at all what was happening. But anyway.
1: Yeah, you wouldn't like... Like your eyes can still be in REM mode, you know, rapid eye movement, which is like when you're actually dreaming. So it can often create hallucinations and it can seem as if there's somebody else in the room. And this is often described as hag attack. I also read that in in China that it's called ghost oppression, which I think is actually a really good name for a band.
0: (laughs) Ghost oppression. Yeah. There probably is a band called Ghost Depression. I, I
1: googled it actually the other day and there isn't. Well I couldn't find one anyway.
0: We should let's start a band called Ghost Depression yeah. and heard it here first. Anyway, sleep paralysis. Yeah, so it can be accompanied by a feeling of pressure that's on your chest, as if someone is sort of sitting on you, and when you try to speak, your voice sounds muffled as if there's something over your mouth. And sometimes you can actually see a presence that looks like a shadow.
1: Yeah, it's very, very scary. I, I don't get it frequently now, but I went through a spell years ago where it was happening a few times a week. Um, I would get the whole, you know, being held down bit. But then, and I've actually read that this is a very rare symptom. It would feel like somebody was dragging me out of the bed.
0: And, like, could you see anyone?
1: No, it was more like feeling a presence, but also you could feel the, the grabbing of the wrists, you know, and it was very tight. And this being that I was hallucinating or whatever was dragging me upwards uh, out of the bed like towards the towards the ceiling and the weirdest thing was and I haven't actually seen this anywhere on the internet when I eventually woke up I'd have red marks on my wrists as if there had actually been somebody grabbing them
0: that sounds awful it was yeah yeah um sorry that thing with the red the marks on your wrists are a bit like what (laughs) I feel like that's sort of, I don't know, you might read, you'd be more likely to read about that in some kind of supernatural type yeah, yeah. group. Anyway, at the start of our story today, Balor is going through a spell of sleep paralysis, but the things that are happening in his dream or hallucination are representations of things from his past.
1: Yeah, he kind of goes from sleep paralysis back into regular dreaming. Now, the sleep paralysis part represents the story of Anglas Gaonen. Uh, it isn't actually part of any of the literary sagas of Irish mythology. It's a story from Irish folklore that has multiple localised versions. The version we drew from is the one recorded by Lady Augusta Gregory in her books Gods and Fighting Men. And Ballard's home here is Tory Island off the coast of Donegal.
0: In this version of the story, the glass gown, a magic cow that always gives good milk, is in the possession of Keene, who later becomes Lou's father. Balor desperately wants the cow, so while one of Kean's brothers is minding the cow for him, Balor changes his form into a little boy and tricks the brother into leaving him with the cow, which of course he steals and takes back to Tory Island.
1: The other plotline in this story, which ends up intersecting with the first, is that a Formorian druid prophesizes that Balor will be killed by a grandson, as he doesn't have any grandchildren at the time and has only one daughter who is sometimes called Etna or Etlu, he locks her away in a tower guarded by 12 women. Now Etlu falls in love with a man that she dreams about and this man turns out to be Keen.
0: Keen gets advice from the druidess who tells him that the cow will never be recovered as long as Balor lives but also tells him of the prophecy. So Kean goes off to Balor's dressed as a traveling queen and requests shelter of the women who are guarding Etlu.
1: When Keen gets alone with Etlu, he reveals who he really is, and she realises that this is the man from her dreams. And well, you can guess the rest. The whole cross-dressing element of this is interesting because it occurs in several other mythologies. Both Thor and Odin uh, dress as women in Norse mythology. For various reasons, Thor's is because his hammer has been stolen, and... The giant who has stolen it wants Freya's hand in marriage in return for getting Mjolnir back. However, of course, Freya is not interested in this, and Loki devises a plan. Of course, Loki, by which Thor will have to dress as Freya in order to get the hammer back. And Mjolnir also,
0: Mjolnir is the name of the hammer, just for people who are yeah, I think confused I think. there.
1: And also in Greek mythology, Achilles is dressed in women's clothes by his mother to avoid being taken to the Trojan War. I wonder did he wear heels?
0: Oh my God. (laughs) Jeez, tonight. Do you know?
1: (sighs) The war was lost for want want of a good heel plaster.
0: Oh God. Anyway, it isn't just the men at this crack either. In the Odyssey, Athena dresses as a man on several occasions. And there's a whole separate mythological tradition of actually changing gender, but this story doesn't fall into that category. And actually, I think we should do a whole episode on that. Yeah. It might not all be Irish mythology, but I think it would be a really cool and interesting episode to do. But anyway, the outcome of this tryst is that Etna bears anywhere between one and three sons, depending on which version of the story you hear, and Lou is the one who survives.
1: So in our adaptation, all of that information is conveyed between the dreams and the conversations that the characters have. There's a lot of story there to tell, so we use this framing device of dream and conversation to tell it. But we're kind of doing more than just telling the story of Gown and The Birth of Lou. We're delving into the psyche of a villain.
0: Yeah, there's a line where Brez is about to say that dreams aren't always a literal representation of the message they convey. In the folktales, Cian doesn't actually steal the cow back. The whole point is that it can only be retrieved when Balor is dead. And the prophecy is that Balor can only be killed by grandchild.
1: So in Iron Age and early medieval Ireland, cattle hold tremendous value. The economy, if you can even call it that, is dominated by cattle ownership. A magic cow that always gives good milk would basically secure the future of its owner and in the dream the cow being taken represents the loss of security which sets Balor off on a series of desperate actions starting with the murder of his daughter's offspring.
0: Now if you want to go down the whole Jungian dream analysis route you can say that sometimes everyone in a dream is a representation of an aspect of the dreamer. In this case, you could say that Baller's unconscious is showing him how decisions he made shaped his destiny. It was the theft of the cow in the first place that brought Keane to Tory. It was his decision to kill his grandchildren that ensured Lou would join the two a day and make it his mission to kill him.
1: That brings up some interesting questions about the nature of prophecy. Had Baller not heard the prophecy, would he have acted in ways that ensured its fulfillment? In some ways, the prophecy in mythology acts as a curse because the attempt to prevent it are what actually causes it to come true. In Veluspe, also known as the Seeress's prophecy, the titular character not only tells Odin about the coming of Ragnarok, but also of every action he will take to try and prevent it. And she can do this because once Odin is aware of Ragnarok, he will act in desperation and carry out the exact actions of her prophecy in the hope of achieving a different result.
0: The other element of this story, the middle act, if you like, is based on part of the fate of the Sons of Turin. Brez and the druid Lush arrive back on Tory Island after their defeat at the hands of Lu in our story from two episodes back. The prophecy in The Fate of the Sons of Turin is slightly different. To that in the folktale. When Kellyn hears about Lou, she says to Balor he is a daughter's son of yours and mine and it is presaged and prophesied for us that when he should come to into Erin, we should never again have power in Erin." The prophecy is not mentioned in the second battle of Moitura at all despite being where Lugh and Balor finally come face to face. Kellyn is named as Balor's wife in the fate of the Sons of Turin. She appears in the Second Battle of Moitura, but her relationship to Balor isn't actually mentioned there.
1: Balor is undoubtedly one of the best attested villains in Irish mythology, probably because he serves as the antagonist to the heroic Lugh, who himself is the best attested god of pre-Christian Ireland. And if you only know one thing about Balor, it's probably that he has an evil eye. Or does he?
0: Dun dun, dun.
1: Well he does have a very dangerous eye that remains closed except when he wants to wreak havoc with it. In some of the folktales, it emits a beam or poison, but the second battle of Moitura says, If an army looked in that eye, though they were numbered in thousands, they could not resist a few warriors. So it seems here that maybe it's more of a hypnotic thing in the second battle of Moitura. And then it's also said that it it requires four men to raise the lid of the eye with a polished ring in its lid.
0: So there is a bit of ambiguity around the nature of the power Balor wielded through his eye, but was it evil? Well, the passage of the Second Battle of Maitura that mentions the nature of Balor's eye is translated by Whitley Stokes in his 1891 edition as Lou and Balor of the Piercing Eye met in the battle. An evil eye had Balor. That eye was never opened save only on a battlefield. Now, Elizabeth Gray's 1982 translation is slightly different. She says, Lou and Balor of the piercing eye met in the battle. The latter had a destructive eye, which was never opened except on battlefield.
1: The word in the original Middle Irish text that Stokes translates as evil and Grey translates as destructive is Mildagog. This might seem like nitpicking, but I'm going to do it anyway, because I think there's an important distinction between the two words, especially if we want to hazard a guess at the meaning of Balor. Evil is one of those neatly dualistic concepts that I don't really think was part of our pagan past. So I had a look at the Electronic Dictionary of the Irish Language, which actually mainly covers Old and Middle Irish, and it's a great resource. I'm going to link the entry on this in the show notes. So, according to that, Mildagach means destructive or malefic and malefic just means supernaturally destructive or edgily destructive or big destructive energy if you like.
0: One of the modern Irish words for destructive is actually quite similar, miltach. Uh, So Balor's eye was piercing and destructive but was it evil? Well it doesn't seem so. How did he get it though? According to the Second Battle of Maitura, His father's druids were concocting charms. He came and looked over the window and the fume of the concoction came under it so that the poison of the concoction afterwards came on the eye that looked. Basically a bit of childhood curiosity brought about the condition that came to define Balor. It's a bit like those warnings you'd get in school about not throwing paper planes or <laughs> pencils or you'd have someone's eye out yeah. or a compass if you're in my class. <laughs> well, geez, I think I, th- I think maybe
1: um, prohibition on throwing a compass might be warranted.
0: Yeah, make, my, make my school sound like the second battle of my school. Yeah it does you know? doesn't it? Yeah. It had its moments. Yeah. Dicey business in, in coached, Loo, you know. That's it mm. you know go hard or go home it's not what they say.
1: Anyway. It. Actually it's, it's, it's also kind of like a superhero or a supervillain origin story like when Peter Parker got bitten by a radioactive spider and then becomes Spider-Man. Now, there's possibly another interesting bit of information hiding in plain sight in that line. Balor is often described as one-eyed, both in folklore and by people eager to link him with the Cyclops in Greek mythology. But the line, the poison of the concoction afterwards came on the eye that looked, suggests that he had at least two. It was the eye that looked as opposed to the one that didn't. I've actually seen claims that he had three eyes, two regular ones and the extra one on his forehead or on the back of his head but there's no information in the medieval sagas other than the aforementioned line.
0: There are so many different versions of the stories about Balor that you could probably say that the number of eyes he had depends on the story you read. The other major point most of the stories disagree on is the place lore. We went with Tory Island off the coast of Donegal as Balor's home, which is called Tor Inish in medieval texts. But there are also stories that place it in Sligo, Cavan, Fermanagh, Monaghan and even Rockable Island off the coast of North County Dublin. Henry Morris makes the argument in a 1927 essay in the Journal of the Royal Society of Antiquaries in, of Ireland called Where was Tor Inish, the Island Fortress of the Formorians? that Balor's stronghold is actually located on Durnish Island off the coast of Sligo. But he bases this off information in the pseudo-historical book of invasions that says the Nevid, the people who occupied Ireland before the Four Bullock, pay their taxes to the Four Maurians in Sligo. He also approaches the subject as the pseudo-histories do, as if it is a mythologised version of real history.
1: The likelihood is that Many places have and always have had their own ballad traditions, and each one is valid in its own right, as we're talking about myth and folklore, not actual history. These traditions do seem to be mostly located in the northern half of the country, though. One of them that fascinates me is the Fermanagh connection. An article on Enniskillen in the Ulster Journal of Archaeology in 1895 mentions that the Annals of Clonmacnoise states that Enniskillen. Which in Irish is Inish gets its name from, and I'm going to quote this because the wording is really interesting. A Fomorian heroine, wife of Balor of the Great Blows.
0: It's really interesting that she's referred to as a heroine here, given the fact that Balor and the Fomorians are usually classed as villains. So I wonder if there is anything in the idea that Balor was an older god who was displaced by Lugh. We were talking in the previous two episodes about archaeological evidence that Lou could be a late arrival to Irish paganism or, alternatively, a minor deity who grew in popularity. This is a relatively small thing in comparison, but you never know.
1: And the the location is really interesting too, because it's actually not that far from my select.
0: Yeah, Killy Cluggan and County Cavan, where the stone associated with Cruach was found.
1: Yeah, and the, the folklorist, Moira McNeil wrote that St. Patrick versus Cromcrook, which we actually covered in our St. Patrick's Day episode, is possibly a Christianized version of Lou versus Balor. Now, it could be that there were people still worshipping Balor or Cromcrook there, and that these were harder to convert than the, I don't know, the Lusitians or the (laughs) Lutherans. (laughs) Or or whatever we'll call them. Uh, Or it could be, as uh, McNeil maintains, that the whole story was an illustration of annual harvest ritual who knows but maybe balor was seen as essential to the success of the harvest in the same way that that the gospel of judas reframes the titular apostle as a hero who is in on the plan to bring about christ's resurrection balor and crom crook so could represent some sort of annual ritual sacrifice to lou and later saint patrick like so in that sense being absolutely essential to the cycle of the year and not evil
0: Or, as some speculate, Balor represents the scorching summer sun that endangers crops and Lou would symbolise his defeat when the harvest is bountiful. We were saying earlier that Balor is one of the best attested figures in Irish mythology. He's also one of the best attested in pop culture.
1: It's no surprise really given that he is a great villain and he comes equipped with an origin story that could have been written by Stan Lee.
0: I think there was a cartoon back in the 80s or 90s called Balor, Balor of the Evil Eye. I have a vague recollection of that. In my head, I see it as, I, I don't know, was it animated or was it like stop motion, you know, like, um, like people made from mola or plasticine or whatever it is. You yeah. Know?
1: Um, I was actually trying to track that down. And you know what's funny? Almost every person you see on message boards or social media trying to find it, remembers it being called Balor of the Evil Eye. But as far as I can tell, it was called Fado Fado, and he was just a character in it.
0: It just goes to show what a great villain he is.
1: <laughs> yeah. And also, the, 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 what, I've, what I've seen people discuss in this show was that some of them think it's animated, just cartoon, and some of them think it's stop motion like that. And maybe they're everybody's thinking of two different programs like so because i haven't been able to find a video of it just that the show called photo photo existed and it was about that type of thing actually do you know that you can all did
0: i dream this Matt? or uh,
1: it's like it's like the um it's
0: like the mandela effect isn't yeah, yeah yeah so
1: some of us came from a universe where it was called balor of the evil eye and so <laughs> anyway um did you know that you can fight balor in assassin's creed valhalla
0: you know well, I wouldn't have known well, that I you have, could fight him in Assassin's Creed Valhalla. No, well, I, might have, I,
1: I, I might have told you. I took
0: away like, no, sure. I only just learned that Mario Kart was <laughs> called Mario Kart and not, you know, the Mario driving game. But anyway, <laughs> I feel like all these references are going to be in your nerd arena. They're yeah, probably
1: most of them anyway. He doesn't do a lot in AC Valhalla other than fight, but you, you're kind of fighting him in a vision, which after you drink a magic potion, after you've completed the main part, of the Wrath of the Druids expansion, which of course is set in Ireland. But it's really, really cool to be just, just be fighting against Balor. Some good mixing of mythologies in that sequence too because, and this is a spoiler alert in case you haven't gotten to the end of the main game yet for about 20-30 uh, seconds, the character you play as, Eivor of the Raven Clan, is kind of an incarnation of Odin, and Balor actually recognises this. He addresses Eivor as Fjolnir, which is listed as a name of Odin in a few sources, most famously in Grimnesal, my favourite, with the sayings of the masked one, where Fjolnir means concealer. Then he goes on to say, you are twice blind if you believe you can defeat me, and twice blind or feeblindi. In the Old Norse is another of Odin's names that's mentioned in Nathnaththulr, uh, in the prose editor, Navna is basically a list of names for use in poetry of various gods and supernatural beings.
0: I haven't played this at all. I'm, I'm just, I'm not a, I'm not a video game person. I'm just, I'm in, I don't know, I'm in my crone phase. <laughs> it's been 84 years. How do they portray Balor?
1: He's kind of like a giant with horns and very dark grey skin. He's very, very demon-like, you know. He has... A helmet covering where his eye would be, but then he takes it off when he wants to shoot his death ray or whatever you want to call it at you.
0: And how many eyes?
1: They went for three, two more or less in the regular positions, and then a third large one on his forehead. It looks pretty good, actually. I usually prefer any number other than one when it comes to portrayals of, of, of Balor.
0: I love that you have a preferred, you know, <laughs> your preferred portrait like number of eyes for how you like Balor to be portrayed. Anyway.
1: Yeah, no, I just think that the whole Cyclops thing is too kind of it, it, it's too distracting. Like, yeah, yeah, but for some reason, actually, he has Ange Volg in his in his possession, which is Kukulin's spear, and you get to take it if you win. So after that, I was running around fighting with both Ange Volg and Gungnir, Odin's spear, which was a lot of fun. But anyway, we probably should do. A bit more of an in-depth thing on that Wrath of the Druids DLC and uh, AC Valhalla in general because they're really worth delving into they do interesting things with the mythology even if it's not always what I would necessarily do.
0: I'm given to understand actually that there was a video game in the 90s called Celtic Tales, Balor of the Evil Eye. Was that something that you played?
1: Not at the time. I don't th- actually think we had a PC at home in 95, but I did play it recently when I was actually doing research for this episode um it's online you can download it or stream it and I just streamed it for a while to see what it was like
0: and did uh, did it conform to your preferred portrayals of Balor in that, in that version? um
1: yeah, well, I didn't actually get to meet him because I only played it for you know about half an hour and uh, I, I presume you only get to meet him at the end but on on the front cover it, it looks like representations you see of Odin with a gray beard one of those Viking-style visor helmets. Um, How many eyes? Pretty sure it was two. I'd say I actually would have been mad into it at the time. It's one of the old-school turn-based role-playing games um, where you, you pick a hero to play as. And these include Lou, Mananon, and the Morrigan, but also characters that are not from the mythological cycle like Cú Chulainn and The Beginning of it actually is similar to what's happening in the Second Battle of Moitura, and the Fomorians are levying their taxes on the tribes of Ireland. And basically, your role is to unite all the tribes and fight against the Fomorians. But at the start, you have to just go along and pay the taxes because you aren't strong enough to fight yet. So you have to farm and build settlements and the kind of thing like you get in games like Civilization or Age of Empires or Populus, which I had on the Amiga, which was a Greek mythology based on.
0: There's real echoes of Balor with Sauron in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. I'm assuming people listen to the show have some knowledge of Lord of the Rings but basically Sauron is the big villain and there's a passage about him in the third book Return of the King and I'm going to read that out here. Far off the shadows of Sauron hung but torn by some gust of wind out of the world or else moved by some great disquiet within the mantling clouds swirled and for a moment drew aside and then he saw rising black, blacker and darker than the vast shades amid which it stood, the cruel pinnacles and iron crown of the topmost tower of Barad-Dur. One moment only it stared out, but as from some great window immeasurably high there stabbed northward, a flame of red, the flicker of a piercing eye, and then the shadows were furled again and the terrible vision was removed. Now, Tolkien said... there was very little influence from what he called Celtic mythology on his Middle Earth stories. But Saren's eye sounds very like Balor's. He even used the exact phrase piercing eye which is one of Balor's epithets and he lives in a tower. Also isn't there a wrestler called Balor too?
1: Yeah there's a fella called Finn Balor in the WWE and it's basically a combination of Finn McCool and Balor and he's Irish but I don't know anything else about him at all. Or so I don't know about anything about wrestling. I assume you don't either.
0: It's a big assumption. Well,
1: considering. It's correct. You know? well, it's you... correct.
0: But that's <laughs> the point, you know. Like, I, I might have.
1: Well, I never heard you talking about it. Anyway, I do have a friend who's big into it. Um, I'll tell
0: you everything I'm so interested in.
1: <laughs> anyway, go on. His name's Christian Payton. And I asked him what the crack was with that.
2: Yeah, Finn Balor is a wrestler. From Bray, County Wicklow, um, his real name is Fergal Deva. Wrestled for a long time in Japan under the name Prince Deva before he um, became so popular that the WWE signed him, who are obviously the um, biggest wrestling company in the world by some margin. He went to WWE in 2014, he's had a lot of success there, he's been world champion once, a few other smaller titles, etc. Obviously, the name um, Finn comes from Finn McCool, and Balor comes from the figure in them celtic mythology and kind of the whole thing about his character in wrestling is that um when he like builds up to like a special match where he has to like you know really win or like has to put in a big performance he um he kind of changes his persona to become the demon and obviously the demon plays off the baller aspect of his name so he'll come out in like face paint you'll be able to find it online easy pictures of him it's really impressive like his whole body painted with like red and just very uh, demonic looking kind of character another funny um little bit of information about him is that one of his finishing moves when he's in japan he had a finishing move which was called bloody sunday and then when he went to wwe he changed the name of that move which was then called the 1916 so it would be um, used to be particularly funny if you were watching him wrestle and like the american commentators would like say stuff like oh and Finn Balor has now just hit the 1916 but yeah that's that's Finn Balor he's um a good dude as well has um done a lot of kind of work for LGBT stuff in the past etc um yeah all-around good dude
1: that's very interesting I was gonna say Balor is briefly portrayed in the television adaptation of Neil Gaiman's American Gods as well and I don't think this bit is in the book But they do a flashback sequence that shows the culmination of the second battle of Moitura. And it's actually really, really well done, even though I do have issues with the Lou Sweeney connection in in the TV version. Uh, But we're actually going to talk in a bit more depth about that in a few weeks, because we're going to do the Sweeney story and talk about the whole Lou Sweeney thing that they've done in the TV show. Apparently, Balor also appears as an antagonist to Batman and Wonder Woman in a DC Comics series called The Brave and the Bold. I haven't actually read that yet, so I'm going to read it in between now and the next time we talk about Balor and say something about that. I I did read a synopsis and again, they they kind of very touch on Second Battle of My stuff, so I am really interested in reading that.
0: The Brave and the Bold kind of sounds like an afternoon American soap opera. The Young and
1: the Restless, that type yeah. of Yeah.
0: Like, oh, sounds yeah. interesting. Uh, there's loads more to say about Balor, but we'll have to come back to him in the coming weeks because unfortunately that is all we have time for today. But if you can't get enough of the Irish Mythology podcast, you might consider becoming a patron. The show will always be free to listen to, but it is not free to make. You can support our work for as little as three euro a month and you'll get story scripts and story only audio as well as early access to the next episode. From five euro a month you can access extra bonus content. And big shout out to patrons Teresa Stevie Morris, Peter Devlin and Murphy S. We really couldn't do it all without your support.
1: But if you don't have cash to spare right now and you want to support us you could share our episodes with friends and family on social media and speaking of social media you can find us on twitter at irish mythology p on facebook irish mythology podcast or on instagram at irish mythology and on the World Wide web at irish mythology podcast.ie and if you're listening on apple podcasts or another platform that includes ratings and you like the show do us a favour, give us a five-star rating. It really helps us reach a wider audience. And don't forget, share those episodes. You'll be rewarded by the gods.
0: You'll be rewarded handsomely. And listen, if you're one of those people that comes from the neck of the universe, that where that programme was called, Baller of the Evil Eye, will you give us a shout? Because I feel like I'm absolutely <laughs> losing my mind here, you know? Uh, but until then, we'll see you next time on Irish Mythology Podcasts. on.
1: You have been listening to the Irish Mythology Podcast, written, presented and produced by Marcus O'Hishkeen and Stephanie Irni. Theme music by Damiano Baldoni, Celtic Warrior, on an attribution license.